Dear Mum and Dad, I want to read you something from my diary from when I was in the middle of my first experience of anxiety. 11.33pm, 17th of the 10th, 2018. I feel kind of anxious right now, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's because I've started this job and I hate the fact that I'm not grasping things as quick as I usually do. Maybe it's because school's almost over and I don't know where I want to be. But maybe it's also because I've messed up my HSC. The key word at this point is maybe. Maybe everything feels like it's going downhill because it is. But maybe I'll get better at this job, smash HSC, and wonder why I even had this tightness in my chest a year from now. I'm just feeling freaking anxious and scared. I know it's probably normal, but I don't know what to do about it, eh? I'm just so unsure of everything lately. School, work, my friends, church, uni. I'm just not here for it. I know I'll be okay, but I don't know how to be okay. I need to just breathe through it, but breathing through it seems harder when there feels like there's a million things to do and there's not a moment to catch my breath. Study and exam stress can affect any student, whether they're a high achiever, a student who coasts through, or someone who struggles every step of the way. As parents, it's hard to read the signs and know how to support them. And when it comes to Year 12, the pressure of having to decide what they want to study or do after school can make it even harder. By the time Genevieve reached Year 12, she was used to being on top of things. She was vice-captain and sports captain of her school, a self-described high achiever. But at crunch time in her HSC legal exam, with everyone around her scribbling, her eye on the clock, Jen looked down at her paper and then she walked out without finishing. What happened next, she says, is a blur and her parents had no idea she was struggling. Teens are experts at hiding their worries. So how do we even know when to lean in with support and guidance? What does that guidance even look like? Hi, I'm Rebecca Sparrow, and this is Navigating Parenthood, Talking to Teens, brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. And today we're learning how to talk about the teenage experience of stress and study. This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. For health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Okay, so Jen, before we get to the exam walkout, talk to me about what school looked like and felt like to you. You're obviously um, a leader at the school, but what was your school experience like? It was the best time of my life up until this point. I was well-liked by my peers. I was well-liked by students and teachers. And I literally had no worries aside from just getting things in on time and getting assignments done. I played a lot of sport. I was really active. I did go and talk to people about, you know, what my mental health was like and where I was at with it. But I also did struggle a lot with all the pressures that I had on me. You know, like you said, I was a school leader. I was a mentor to some of the younger kids and I was a model student in the eyes of my teachers. So to have all these expectations in school about, you know, who I needed to be and who I should be as an individual kind of got to me. But, you know, it did encourage me to thrive and be a better student and also ultimately like a better person as well. 
So could you have guessed that this moment was going to happen? No, definitely not, because I knew in my mind that legal studies was my best subject um, and it showed because I was coming first in my class. And so coming into that exam, I really had no worry of, you know, walking out. Jen, take me back to this day. Looking back, were there any little red flags? The night before I was studying, like every other HSC student was that day as well, And I stayed up studying probably about until 10 o'clock, which is unusual for me because I'll usually push myself to go until about 11 or 12 and then I'll be like, no, this is unhealthy. You should probably get some sleep. Um, And so when I went to sleep at 10, I went to sleep not with a feeling of, okay, I feel prepared. I feel like I can do this. I'm going to walk in tomorrow. And I feel like no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay with the result. But I went to sleep that night thinking, okay, you don't know any of the legislation that you're meant to know. You, you don't know how you're going to structure your essays. You don't know what might come up in multiple choice, but you don't feel prepared enough to take on those questions that do come on. So you're lying in bed starting to panic and think, actually, I don't know that I am ready mm. for this exam. Now, was that panic and actually you did know, or do you actually feel like looking back, you hadn't had the time or for whatever reason to put the study in? I was panicking, but I did know. And I just felt like I felt unprepared because my standards for myself were so high. Yeah. I was talking to my mum over the breakfast table, actually, and she was like, oh, how do you, how do you feeling? Like, this is, you know, this is, she knew how well I was going in legal. And so I looked her in the eyes and I was like, yeah, look, it's nothing. I feel, I feel fine about it. I reckon I'm going to kill it. She was like, all right, no worries. Got on the bus, see a couple of the friends that um, I'm doing the exam with. And we go all go to the library to do like cram the last minute study in. And as we're walking down to the exam hall, you know, everyone's talking about legislation. Everyone's talking about what's going on. Everyone's, you know, oh, what about this question? What if this question comes up? And it's in those moments that these uh, these feelings of anxiousness and nervousness start to resurface. I start to think, oh, okay, I remember going over this, but I don't actually remember, you know, what my procedures are if this comes up. And so this starts to onset, but I think, no, just trust yourself, trust in the process. You've done the work, you know, you've gotten this far. I'm sure you're going to be fine. And then we go into the exam. So they obviously go through the protocol. At this point, I'm just thinking, okay, this is everything I know. Like I have done practice questions on these questions so many times. You know, how can I fail this? How can I not do this right? And then they say, okay, time to start writing. And as I start writing and start going into it, I'm looking at the questions in depth. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, you studied it, but what about this aspect of it? What what about this? What about this? And, you know, I start to question, I start to doubt myself. And, then, and it's in that moment that these feelings again, you know, come back and it's like they're creeping up on me and they're like, oh, you thought we were gone, but we're definitely still here. Like I start to get the shakes. I start to feel a bit cold. I start to think, okay, um, what happened to my plan of attack? What happened to all the things that I said I was going to do? And it's in this point that I look, I'm looking at the essay questions and I'm looking back at what I've already done and I go blank. So you go blank. I go blank. Everyone's worst nightmare. <laughs> Everyone's worst nightmare, mine in particular. So after I go blank, you know, my first response is just trying to figure out, okay, why? Like just just go back through everything that you've done, look through the paper, look for any clues that you can to just try and write something down for these essays or these short answers. And I still don't do it. And so I'm looking at the time and I'm like, okay, it's an hour and a half in now. This is a three-hour exam. So we've hit the halfway point. And I think to myself, okay, just just stay for another 10 minutes. And if nothing happens by 10 minutes, leave. Wow. Yeah. So I gave myself the ultimatum. Next 10 minutes comes and I think, all right, what's the point of staying? Like pros and cons really quickly. What what are the point? What's the point of staying? Fight or flight response. So I decided to leave. So vice captain, high achiever, the subject that you think, I can I can nail this one. You get up, you walk out of the exam, what happens next? 
my point of attack was I was just going to go get my bag and then head out of school straight away and then just go home and sleep. But our bags were locked in a classroom, so I had to go find someone to open it. And so I went to go find my year coordinator and he says, oh, how'd the exam go? And I said, oh, so I think I really just flunked it. And I started crying and I was like, ah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him about it. And he says, oh, no, don't worry about it. This is just one exam. You have three more to go. And as he says, you have three more to go. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have three more to go. Like, what if this happens every other time? Yeah. Um, and then so after he says that, we go, I get my bag. And I bump into one of the teachers that has mentored me throughout the year. Mm. And we're talking about it. And then soon enough, within the span of like 10 minutes, half of the grade knows that I've left the exam. And then my legal teacher as well knows that I left the exam. And just as I'm about to walk out the school gate, she comes to me and she says, Jen, I heard from so-and-so that you actually left the exam. And I said, oh, yeah, I left the exam. She says, oh, why'd you, why'd you leave? And I look at her and I say, I could not give you an answer because I don't even know myself. Like, I don't know why I walked out. Where did the pressure come from? Was it just from yourself or do you think it was from a whole heap of places? I felt like, you know, my teachers relied on me to be a good student. I felt like the school relied on me to be a good vice captain because... And a role model. And a role model. You know, when you're elected into that position, it's a big thing. So when you're given that role, you know, you take it on knowing that it's going to be tough, but they give you it because they know you can take it on. And I can show you right now that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a mistake. You gave me these responsibilities and these titles because I deserve them. And I can handle them. And I can handle them. Mm. And that's exactly what I wanted to show them, especially as a young woman and, you know, moving into young adulthood. That's the most thing that I wanted to show that, you know, I can take on the world. I can move out of high school and move into and transition into university and life after high school seamlessly. I can do this. I can do this fine. So talk me then through the aftermath. Mm. Did you get home and then just go, what on earth Mm. have I done? My plan of wanting to go home didn't actually come to full fruition. So in that chat with my legal teacher, she says to me, okay, first put a call, I think you need to go to the doctors. Because is she thinking, well, we'll get you to resit this exam maybe? Mm. Is that what she's maybe thinking or get you an exemption? Or Yeah, so she's thinking at this point, if you can prove through the medical certificate that something did happen that you didn't have any control over, there'll be some consideration for your mark so that that won't fully impact my final result. So that's what she's thinking at this point. And what are you thinking when she's saying that? I'm thinking, I really don't care. Like, I really just want to go home. I just want this period to be over and done with. So you've done a complete flip. You have gone from got a plan, organised, high achieving, you know, of how you think everything's going to go in the next few months ahead to, I don't care (laughs) what the end result is for this HSC, just get me out of here and I'm not even interested in trying to sort of smooth this over is that is that how it was? That's exactly what it was. 100%. And why do you think why why do you think you're thinking like that? I hit my breaking point. I 110 yeah. percent hit my breaking point, and I was done. In your letter, we heard at the beginning of the episode, you wrote, "I wonder why you even had this tightness in your chest." Talking about how you were feeling during HSC time, do you know now why you had that tightness? I do. Yeah, and the main reasoning for it was like I was saying before, I was nervous. I really just wanted to prove myself and I wanted to be better, but also because I felt like I couldn't really talk to a lot of people about it, you know, because I felt like I had the expectation of my parents to do well and not because as migrant parents they were like, do well, otherwise what, where else are you going to do? What else are you going to do with your life? It was because, you know, they'd sacrificed so much for me to be able to get a good education and I felt like I really couldn't talk to my friends either because they're going through it as well. They're Mm. stressed out, you know, they're going through exams. So your parents came from Fiji. Did you feel an obligation then to 
be at your school and to just be hitting every mark and doing really well? Yeah, of course. And that applied to, you know, my inside of school and outside of school life. My parents are great and they really did encourage me and my siblings to do the best that we can in all aspects of life. You know, if there's an opportunity, take it and just say yes and see where it goes. And so with having migrant parents as well, though, and knowing the struggles and the, the story of coming to Australia, it really did encourage me to just do well. Just give me an idea of what your study schedule was like. So I'd wake up at six, go for a morning run, come back around seven, have a shower, be out of the house by like 7.30, get on the bus, go to school, meet up with my friends in the morning, and then we'd go to homeroom, and then we'd have a five-period day of classes. From there, I'd either go home and get ready to go to AFL training, or um, I'd go for another run just to kind of get my head back in zone after being at a day of classes. And then I would go study after coming home from training. And then if I wasn't at training, I'd just go straight to the library and stay there from about four to eight, go home. Four till eight yeah. at the library? Yeah. Are you having dinner or? like? Yeah, I had dinner afterwards. So my okay. mum would, or my sister would pick me up from the library and then I'd go home, have some dinner, have another shower and then go to bed and then wake up and do it all again. Like how much sleep are you getting just to give oh, me an still idea? A, still a six hour sleep, so about 12 o'clock to six. Six sleep. hours, could you? Still <laughs> a decent six hours of sleep? Still a, still a decent six hours. Like how much sleep would your, you and your peers be getting? So you're getting six, is that... It was pretty normal, I'd say. Like most of my friends, like we'd turn up to homeroom the next day and be like, oh, man, I slept so late, I studied so hard. Or, you know, I slept. a lot of people stayed up late just chilling out. It's that battle between what you think is me time of staying up sometimes and binge-watching shows or scrolling through social mm. media and you're sacrificing sleep for Definitely, it, I think. Yeah. What's interesting is that ReachOut's latest study stress survey revealed that 68% of students say their stress was driven by self-generated pressure to succeed. Do you think there is still this message that is hitting really hard to teens, that year 12 is be-all and end-all? If you don't get it right, you're going to screw up your future. Is that still the strong message that's coming through in schools? I wouldn't say it's the strongest message coming through anymore. I know definitely at our school and a lot of my peer school that like I met through other extracurricular activities, the main message really was just kind of having a good mental health whilst you're going through it and understanding that if you screw up, there are other avenues. And they were offered to you, you know, if you went to the different career expos or, you know, you talked about your options with different teachers and things, they would always say, oh, instead of you going to university, maybe take a year off work, you know, or go have some travelling experience or find experience in the field that you actually want to be in so you can feel it out and know that you actually want to deep dive into that if university is something that you're considering. You know, we have agencies like Reach Out that will have articles about, okay, these are other things that you can do with your time. You know, agencies like Year 13 that say, okay, university is great, but there are also other ways that you can make money and still become an achieved person. But as well within ourselves as students, I think there is still really this massive um, expectation to go to university and still to go on and further study in another tertiary education um, forms. When we think about what you were going through, did you hide your stress from your parents? I did. I definitely did. did. I heard it from a lot of people, you know, my parents being the main people because, you know, I could get away. I could get out of the house. I could, you know, hide my stress from them, masquerading it as, oh, I'm studying really hard, but I'm also freaking out a lot. And why didn't you want them to know? Because could you not say to them, oh, I'm really stressed out about this or... Mm. I didn't want them to know because I just didn't want them to worry about me, which is so funny to say because parents will always worry. 
And so I just didn't want them to think that, you know, they had to invest even more time in me. It was more just I didn't want them to feel like they had to be watching over me 24-7, you know. Oh, Jen's spending one more hour in the library. She must be, like, dying over this assessment. You know, I just wanted them to know that I'm okay and I can do it alone. Jackie Hallen is the digital content manager from ReachOut. She's joining us now to talk more about study skills and stress. Welcome, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Your point of view, what signs should parents be looking for to know that their their kids are having difficulty managing study stress? The classic signs are changes in their behaviour and attitude. So that could be that they're not spending time with their friends, they're not exercising, they're not participating in other hobbies, they're irritable uh, and, and really grumpy and more so than we all are when we're under stress. But what we heard from from Jen is young people are really focused on being independent at that time in their lives. And so Jen was really good at hiding that from her parents. So the other thing to do is just to be, I guess, asking that question and checking in in different ways with your teen and asking different types of questions to understand what their experience is. So what kinds of questions should we be asking? So I think we all know that experience of how is school today? Uh, and if you're not if you're not getting anything back, it sort of uh, could be more specific questions. So what do you think went really well in that exam? What did you find hard in that exam? Um, how are your friends going at the moment? Uh, maybe connecting on something, making sure you're sort of current. So Jen mentioned AFL. So make sure we're keeping current and asking her maybe about AFL rather than exams. So maintaining that connection, recognising that year 12 is a very stressful time and not just accepting that surface level answer. Thinking of the parents listening, what can we do to support our kids going through this period of time? Like what are some healthy study habits? What can we actively do as parents to support them? Yeah, it's a a great question. I know something that parents are focused on. I think the first thing is that it doesn't start at year 12. So when your child moves into high school, that's a big change in in their study environment and, and the expectations and the pressures. So setting up good habits from year seven so that you're building that and sustaining that into year 12. Some things that you can do around year 12 in particular Maybe if they've got sort of set chores that they do, you might be able to, you know, cut them a bit of a break from some of those chores and give them some space. Can do some really practical things. Make sure they've got a study space. So not everyone's going to have a desk in their room, but can there be an an side of the table that they can have set up and maybe they can put some posters or some quotes up around that. Can you make sure the fridge is stocked with with healthy food and maybe on the mornings of their exams, can you um, spend time and, and cook them a meal and sit down with them? And I think another big thing as a, as parents we can do is check our own expectations and understand if what we're expecting of our child and if that's really aligned to, to their goals and that we can be aware of what we're bringing into conversations and what role we might be playing in adding to their stress. I would 100% agree. And as well, healthy eating is something that I don't think is emphasised enough. Like making sure to actually be eating well really did impact my own physical and mental well-being as well. Jackie, you mentioned before about setting up good study habits from year seven, you know, rather than all of a sudden in year 11 and 12 going, right, we're going to start doing great study habits. But what does that look like? I think Going into year seven, you're going to have a lot more assessments in those earlier years than exams. And so depending on the child, they're going to put different levels of effort into that and have different motivations. So I guess, first of all, it's being clear on 
your child's goals and what they're looking for. And that might change over the times, but having those open conversations, focusing on uh, the effort that they're making, not the result. And so that can be around a growth mindset and saying, you know, Jen, you've achieved really well at high school. I can see that you've put a lot of effort into that. And that's really um, focusing on the effort that they've made and valuing that, which is a really healthy habit to encourage. It's also, there's some really practical things like the 20 minute study rule. Your brain actually can't focus for much longer than 20 minutes without a break. So we need to have those chunks of study. And so you could support them to, to develop like a study or an assessment timetable and keep in those those regular breaks and encourage them to still be seeing their friends and still be doing sport, but they need to take time off study. So you can't just keep adding and adding on top of that. You really need to be making that a priority. And I think what Jen spoke to is that idea of burnout. And so we need to be managing the well-being holistically and knowing that if you are getting maybe your eight or nine hours sleep is probably more appropriate for a teenager at, at that level of their development then that's actually going to be better for your brain and and hopefully avoid that burnout. So I just wonder whether parents are also the ones buying into this idea that year 12 is going to make or break your child, they're going to be living on the streets with no future if they don't do well in year 12. So how important is it for parents to kind of maybe chill out a bit and be a bit more realistic with year 12? Look, I think there's as many types of parents as there are young people. So I think there's not a a one-size-fits-all rule here. I think for parents, having that that conversation, that connection with your child and understanding what their goals are and how you can support them to do the best that and to be the best that they can be and to be the best version of themselves. It's valuing all of those different experiences equally and making sure that you're supporting your child on their pathway. And that there's no one right way to do this. There's no one right way. So, Jen, what impact did this whole experience have on your relationship with your parents? It made it a lot stronger. Mm. It's terrible that it had to get to the point of, you know, having that breakdown and having that burnout for it to become, you know, a better relationship. But it was something that really enabled us to talk. You know, why are you feeling this way? What actually got you to the point, you know, we've been going with you, journeying with you this whole year. How did we not know about this? And so it really encouraged in, in a safe environment of vulnerability. And it really allowed us to have meaningful dialogue about, you know, well, what do we do here moving forward? How are we going to help you to get through the next four exams that you have to be sitting? How are we going to help you move through university so that this isn't happening? You know, university is another five or four years. So what you know, safeguards are we going to put in place to help you move through that in a safe and healthy way? It's really interesting to hear you say that, Jen, because we know from a lot of young people that it has to get really serious and things have to get really bad before those conversations are happening. But we know that those conversations make all the difference. So if we can shift that forward a little bit and create that environment where, you know, young people feel safe to open up and sort of say, actually, I am struggling a little bit. I do need help and do that a little bit earlier, then we can avoid it getting to that really serious space. So Jen, thinking about that diary entry that you wrote just one year ago, what advice would you give that girl? Or to the next person, you know, there's a girl or a boy in a similar situation, what would you say to them? 
I would say that this is just a moment in time and it'll all pass. Whether you do really well, that's awesome, but this is going to pass through and there are going to become more challenges. But even if you do flunk out and you do, you know, have that trip up in the exam or you do walk out because of something that happened, it'll be fine. It's not a defining moment. You know, you go and people don't even know your name sometimes when you go to university. So how are they going to know what happened in year 12? Like this is not a defining moment. It doesn't define who you are now or in 10 years time. It's just a moment in time. You'll be fine. And the fact as well that there are so many people willing to support you and love you through all of it. Because at the end of the day, your academic grades aren't it. And what advice would you give to your parents? I wish that my parents were able to encourage a bit more conversation. Like I wish that they had the tools of knowing that, you know, maybe going for a walk is something that we can do together. And, you know, going for a drive and initiating that conversation, you know, because I think that, you know, if we had a bit more conversations, but in that sense as well, you know, letting me know that I'm allowed to be vulnerable with them in a in a deeper sense, because, you know, talking about how you're feeling about your friends is one thing, but talking about the stress and things that you're going through that you've self-inflicted is a whole other thing that's really difficult to talk about. What can we be doing to sort of lean in and sort of have more of those conversations. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, so parents always tell us that, yeah, situations without that direct eye contact. So things that are important to think about are, you know, do you have privacy? Is it is it safe to have that conversation? And so that's why a car is really good because as well as not having eye contact, there's nobody else around you. You might have a routine where you're they're dropping you to school or they're dropping you to AFL practice or picking up from the library, as Jen mentioned. So that can be your time. Can you also have maybe a ritual where you go out for a walk, go out and grab a hot chocolate, something where you have that quality time and, you know, you um, role modelling, you put your phone down and so that you can have that that time sort of together. And if they're not responding, you know, if you're really not getting anything face-to-face, we've also heard parents say, you know, get on their level and you could send them a text. The other thing um, that the research suggests is sometimes it's really difficult, but you might not be the best person to have that conversation. So is there another trusted adult in their life, an auntie, an uncle, a close friend that you could, I guess, enlist to, to support you? And I guess that takes bit of courage to to check your own ego and realise that they're not opening up to you, but that you just want the best for them. So Jen, tell me how things are now and what safeguards do you have in place now to really better protect your mental health? Mm. So right now I'm doing a Bachelor of Secondary Education in Art. So going through my first year of university has taught me a lot and there have been stressful times. So the safeguards that I've learned to put in place from that experience of that legal exam have been things like being able to actually talk to my mum really freely, you know, even though, like I said before, it was terrible, I had to get to that point. But it's really good now in the sense that we have such a good relationship. And we always have, but now it's, you know, more authentic. I'm able to just go to her and be like, I am so annoyed with this. I'm so stressed out by this, you know, and she just sits there and she takes it and she listens. And, you know, it's not a, it doesn't, it's not a conversation sometimes. Sometimes it's me just ranting off about all the things that are annoying me. And sometimes it's her actually giving me advice and saying, okay, well, you've been going at this for, you know, four days now. How about you have a sleep? How about you have a rest? How about we go and, you know, get something to eat instead? But as well, knowing what my red flags are. So if I start to shut the door of the study more often rather than leaving it open, or if I haven't seen one of my friends in a couple of weeks, it's knowing that, okay, there's been a change here. I think I need to step back and I need to take a break as well. 
And I think the final thing that I've really noticed and put into place is having time for my family and for my friends and really allocating them that time so I can have a balance and find that balance as well. Because, you know, at the end of the day, for me personally, those relationships are the things that, you know, give me energy and give me life. So I really want to incorporate them into my everyday life so that I'm able to be sustained. So Jackie and Jen, this has been such an enlightening episode. I know I can just feel in my bones that parents will be listening to this thinking, ah, You know, having those moments of thinking, okay, I get it. Um, So thank you for sharing your story and thank you, Jackie, for the advice. I've loved having you here today. Thanks, Beck. Thank you very much, Beck. Thanks for listening to Navigating Parenthood. All five episodes are available now. Subscribe and rate and head to hcf.com.au slash podcast for more information and useful links. And remember... If you're feeling depressed or anxious and need to talk to someone now, call Lifeline on 13 11 14.